Welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast. And in this special one-off episode, we meet with Business in the Community's Chief Executive, Amanda McKenzie, to discuss the challenges of the world in which we live. In particular, we'll be discussing the cost of living crisis, what's the reality, how businesses can and must help, and 12 calls to action that every business should consider. To find out, let's get into the conversation. Amanda, you are welcome to The Lens. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's very lovely to be here. Well, it's fabulous. And this special episode to meet the Chief Executive of Business in the Community. But you weren't that always the past six years you've been (laughs) in that role. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? And how did you come to be the CEO? I'm a proud Yorkshire lass. It's amazing to me that my dad worked for the coal board. So my father worked in an industry that doesn't exist anymore. And both my children work in cyber and tech and in in businesses that didn't exist when they were born. Can't decide whether that makes me feel 100 or whatever. But anyway, proud Yorkshire lass, studied psychology at university, started my career in advertising, then moved into marketing, then more general management. And I, I sort of, over the years, worked part of British Airways, BT, British Gas, done a lot of B companies um, (laughs) and I found myself after that I worked for Aviva I I was brought in to change the name from Norwich Union and then went off and worked with Richard Curtis on the uh, UN uh, global goals the sustainable development goals on the launch of those and that found me not wanting to go back into the corporate world and instead to come and run a charity and alongside that over the years I've been on various boards I just always ascribe to the phrase adventures with purpose and chemistry in other words don't always have a plan follow your heart but do stuff that's going to stretch you and give you purpose and don't work with people that aren't fabulous if you can possibly (laughs) avoid it hence the chemistry piece and that's it that takes me 35 years into a career And then business in the community, the opportunity came up. Why was that the right fit for you? The opportunity to spend every day thinking about how business can practice responsible business and get better at it and how the collective impact of businesses, every business getting a little bit better at this, when you look at the collective and the collective intelligence and the collective effort, you just go, that's an incredible way to be able to spend your days and uh, getting to uh, lead the organisation at what turned out to be an extraordinary time has been an immense privilege and it's, it's frankly a job of a lifetime. I'd love to ta- uh, chat to you a little bit more about the UN Global Goals that you just mentioned. I mean, that's a, that was an incredible opportunity, but I suppose it was before you came into role with business in the community and, and you set up the Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs that, that everyone is talking about now, but you were really ahead of your time there. In fairness, what happened was Richard Curtis, the rather brilliant film producer and campaigner, along with two other fabulous founders, realised that if they worked with the UN to launch the goals and make them famous, that we had more chance of achieving them. Because unless they were famous, unless there was iconic design associated with them, they would just live in the public policy space. 
And actually, they wanted to create them, well, as a brand, effectively, so they could become famous, so businesses could pick them up. They could write strategies against them. We set ourselves a goal of could we get to 7 billion people in the first week of launch, which is basically, at that time, everyone on the planet. And in fact, in that first week, we documented that we got to about 3.5 billion. Of course, had we never set the 7 billion, we'd have never got anywhere near the 3.5. Every letter in Britain was franked. There was big posters in Times Square, Google, homepage, you name it. So business in the community has been calling for business to work for people and the planet. But there are so many problems out there at the minute. And we want to hear a bit more about what business in the community can do to help businesses, to help communities, to help their customers, to help their people. How can businesses really make a difference and do something positive at this time? If you think back to Hesketh Lever back in the end of the 19th, century. He was unbelievably good about thinking about his workforce. And relative to the time, he provided healthcare for his workers, he provided dental, he even bought books for his the children of his workers. He even had a effectively a share scheme, which also had a clawback scheme as well, where he would take the shares back if the particular worker weren't morally upstanding, what can I say? So it's relative to the day. The point is, he really thought about what would help those workers be healthy and happy. So if you go today, in this extraordinary time, what's the equivalent? So it's just being forensic and thoughtful, both obviously from your supply chain, your customers, your communities, and of course, the people that are working for you, with whom if you don't look after them, you've got nothing anyway. Just really thinking through, can I do more? or or helping them understand the limitations of what you've got, but together saying, how can we think about all of this relative to the cost of living crisis? We've set 12 things for people to think about, which feels like a long Mm. list, but actually it's split into four chunks. What would it take for you to be able to pay the real living wage? Fundamentally right now, I don't think anyone can survive not on the real living wage. So really get to grips with what that will mean and how you can achieve it for them. Think about how your people could work flexibly, genuinely flexibly. And often people say to me, well, that's impossible if you've got bank branches to run. You've got, But flexibly doesn't mean you choose the hours at any one point, but annualised hours, all sorts of ways of just being more thoughtful around how you can be helpful. Obviously, the backdrop of this is having a sustainable business, because if you haven't got a sustainable business, you haven't got a business, you're not helping anybody. And then just really think about your most vulnerable people in your workforce and be thoughtful around what things you can do to support them. The Small Responsible Business of the Year a couple of years ago in London was a company called Salary Finance, which effectively, if you've got debts, it consolidates your debts and takes it off your net income, which is so much better than having a payday loan at some hideous rate of interest. Gosh, you know, small, it is it's very clever, very simple idea. Because they've got more money to pay off their debt, they then pay off their debt and they actually get into savings. So mm. they've literally gone from people that had a payday loan or having to pay hideous amounts of interest to being in people that save. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the case at the moment, but it's just 
think about every aspect of health well-being, we know that financial well-being is key in this, what can you do? Can you do more? And then, frankly, apply that same thinking to your customers. We all know that everyone's going to have some vulnerable customers right now. What can you do to help them to recognise that, to provide extra services for them, to innovate, you know, some products within that? I'm conscious when you talk about all of this, it could sound a bit Pollyanna, but if you want to do this, you've just got to sort of tenaciously, rigorously be determined and it's amazing what can be done. Think about your suppliers. I'm always amazed where people think it's it's a good and clever thing to spend ages and ages take, uh, to pay your supplier bills. But ultimately, that's only going to come back to you somehow, some way. But also, it's not fair on smaller companies. If we all think about SMEs and how they manage, it's just important to pay them on time. And then also, obviously, it, inherent in that is think about how you can help your suppliers to use less energy and reduce costs because there might be ways you can share processes. It's a small example, but Anglian Water, they run the apprenticeship scheme for all their supply chain. So the small workshops that are supplying Anglian Water don't have to worry with all the paperwork. They can do that. You go, well, that's such an interesting model that you could arguably apply to other things. Oh, gosh, um, lots of people then, could learn from that, couldn't they? Absolutely. But um, it's so important that chief executives um, who are probably facing huge challenges themselves, as you said, to keep business going at the minute, at the cost of doing business is, is so great. But keeping an eye on your people, whether that's your customers, your suppliers, whether that's your staff, whether that's indeed the community that you're part of is crucial to us all getting through this. Well, you're quite right. I do feel actually post the pandemic, we, we sort of said it's almost like business is back in the community. I think we all suddenly realise that on our doorstep is absolutely where we need to start thinking about all of this. And clearly, if you're an international company, your doorstep is far and wide. What can you give to the community? Have you got any things that you can share? Have you really thought through the impact of your company on that community and particularly right now? And if you think about it as well, Amanda, I mean, you've talked there about a paying the living wage. But when you think there was a recent survey that I read that, you know, people that are were on a really decent wage, in my opinion, you know, on £45,000 a year, these were the people that were moving into that category of being classed as working poor, that it just wasn't mm. enough, which is, is incredible to think that we've got to that level. Well, it is, but it's very easy to see what, why and how, because you've got mortgages that have effectively doubled in some cases, energy that's trebled. I think you've got a population of people that in theory look like they're going to be earning quite a lot of money, but they've probably also got commitments for their money already. So it means that their disposable income is, is much smaller. So I heard from a professional services firm that applications to have a second job were going through the roof. Gosh. And we're not talking partners of the firm, but we again to that exact point, the people that you'd have thought could get by are going, actually I am going to need some income to supplement. So we are where we are. I don't think there's a a magic bullet to solve this problem. The other thing that people really value is coming up with solutions together. We know a lot of the work we do on mental health um, and creating jobs that are, are good for people, um, the, the, the most productive way to get that is that you co-create that with someone. And so if you apply that thinking to where we are now, 
people understand that you haven't got limitless funds. People understand that you can't literally start giving product away or giving money away. You can't do that because you have to be sustainable. But understanding the breakpoints effectively is just having proper human, thoughtful conversations. So these 12 calls to action are there, they're available on the Business and the Community website and they really provide practical ways to get started right now in making a difference. Yeah, and we've got one of our members who are now using it with all their SME customers because they've found it so useful as a way to help them think about framing this and just chunk down what needs to be done. Um, but, But the other thing we're trying to do is pull together lots of great examples and there's some fabulous examples. I mean, Bidvest Noonan, their colleagues now collectively saved £125,000 on fuel, household shopping and utilities because they've got a benefit tool that offers hundreds of discounts, well-known retailers and provides well-being and personal support. I love these John real Lewis. examples. Yes, John Lewis, the free food available to workers, including temporary workers. That's fabulous. Yes. And in fact, quite a few, I think, of the the supermarkets have now followed with that. And indeed, I think Asda have got some fantastic offers for customers where they're making sure that children can eat. People are just going, what can I do? Mm. How can I do it? And they're not being cowed by, well, we can't make the maths work. M&S have made a £15 million investment to support their front line. Compared with a year ago, their full-time employees are receiving £100 a month more. Then there's quite a lot of firms that have been doing one-off payments to help people with cost of living. Yes, I've been hearing um, that and even locally on, on the ground too, with smaller companies too, that, that bonus has just made such a difference if, if yes. businesses were able to do that. And I think that combined with the UK government energy help, yes, that should hopefully make a decent bit of a difference. I think the other thing that's quite tricky in all this, I was reflecting on this the other day, is that because we did pre-pandemic, I think everyone was getting quite used to many years of low interest rates, therefore the disposable income on the back of it. So when it happened before, so the, the comparator is this is the worst reduction in standard of living since the 1950s, people were coming off the back of the wall then, And 1954 was when rationing ended. So in a way, people were coming out of a circumstance where they were were already, their expenditure and their way of life was incredibly modest because, Mm. frankly, there'd been a war and... There was was nothing, (laughs) yes. No. So as much as anything else, everyone's having to very quickly re-educate themselves. But I think it is quite impressive how businesses have been sort of pivoting to help that. I mean, you've got Iceland who are always fantastic at this. They've got uh, hundreds of one-pound lines. Seven Trent have got a scheme called The Big Difference. It's a special scheme for household incomes below £18,278, where you can get extra help. When you actually look closely at what's happening, it definitely warms the heart. It does. But I think sometimes two things happen. I think people slightly think they maybe can't help. And we would always say... I'm sure you can. Let's think again. And then the other thing is that it just feels overwhelming, potentially. Mm. Just start or just do one thing. All of these things add up. But everyone has to really think through what is possible and something, no matter how small, will be. Absolutely. Now, Business in the Community is celebrating 40 years this year. You've been part of of the organisation for six of those. But share with us now the BITC legacy over the past 40 years and I suppose its ambition for the future. 
I guess if you were being provocative, you would hope that we didn't need to exist mm. um, in, what, in one respect, because clearly if there were no vulnerable people in society, if every business practised impeccable, responsible business, if our DEI stats were impeccable, if the workplace was very fair, inevitably our job would have been done. But of course, we know that's quite a long way off. And frankly, it'll never happen because luckily, and I think in a good way, the bar raises every day. On, on what we should expect. But if you think back 40 years, the civil service wouldn't employ women after they'd got married. I mean, employment rules, gender pay gap, none of that existed. There were no targets for gender. There were no targets for race. It was a very different environment. Mental health was absolutely something no one ever talked about. A lot of these issues have been raised by the people that were um, the business leaders at that time that were part of the business in the community family, or indeed our royal founding patron, King Charles III. So he has been championing that for 40 years alongside some quite uh, far-sighted uh, business leaders. The legacy is the fact that over that time, we are combined efforts, the collective impact of British business along with the campaigning efforts will have profoundly helped British workplaces to be better places and really began to embed purpose in how people do their business, really began to embed net zero and getting after climate target. And of course, we've got a very long way to go. And if you look what happened post um, COP27, you kind of wonder, We, I mean, that's a, a serious miss if we don't get after that. So there's clearly a lot of work to be done. But it is quite a phenomenal legacy over those 40 years. And my role, of any role you ever do, if, if you come to do this role in, a, in an organisation that does what we do, it's very much a stewardship role. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that you can just take that mission on because it's a charitable purpose and an endeavour and, and just make sure that it is is richer and better for the future. Well, whenever you have outlay there, exactly what you have achieved, you've come a long way and made such a difference alongside um, responsible business leaders and the King and all of these people who have made changes for the better. But it seems like every time you get on top of one crisis, another appears. Do you ever just feel overwhelmed with the size and the volume of the challenges that we face? I think you could. So you've just got to get very good at triaging. What's the thing where you can make the biggest impact? Something that we will all do well to think even more about is how we collaborate. I think it's a word that's very quickly used and not so often really, really lived. And I think that is what helps something that potentially could be overwhelming to be something that's entirely manageable. In this world right now, as we face such an extraordinary net zero challenge, we do not have time for everyone to make the same mistakes in their own silos. If people are willing to be vulnerable and say, I made this mistake, you don't need to do it because I've now made it, you might as well learn from that. Or conversely, I had a massive breakthrough here, you can share from this. That is how we're going to make the progress at the rate we need we need to go faster, braver, bolder, but we're not going to make that progress unless people genuinely work together and we get this 
collective impact. So I think that's another way to not feel overwhelmed by it. Be ruthless in your triaging, but also make sure you're really, really working with others. And that's the benefit, I suppose, of being a member of business in the community is you get that expertise, that access to information, to mistakes that have been made before, the things to avoid going forward. And, you know, people, I've witnessed business in the community events. We've celebrated the success of of people who are doing fantastic things. But what always surprises me is just that, just that openness. And like, you know, I want to help. The big people want to help the small people. And that's fabulous. Yeah. And you know what? To use your phrase, the smaller companies, often they're the ones, because they've maybe been a bit more nimble, had a bit less process, they've actually probably come up with the scientific discovery equivalent, which means that then you can scale it up and you've got something quite phenomenal. There you go. Yes, it works the other way too. Absolutely. Amanda, we have so many listeners to the lens and many of those are young leaders. I just wonder what message you would give to young leaders of today and, of course, the leaders of tomorrow. Well, in the context of the world we find ourselves in, they they can have so much influence. So the vo- their voice that they have within the company where they work or if they're an entrepreneur... There's just so much that they can bring. And I know everyone always says we ought to listen to young people more. And there's always that whole rhetoric. And I always find it is somehow giving a young person permission to speak somehow in that mechanism. Whereas actually, I want everyone to feel we're all here to be part of that solution. So if somebody ever, you know, that stopped the world, we're now going to listen to young people, feels hideously patronising to me. So I feel... You have so much more influence than you probably think you have. Don't be shy of an opinion. And, and also, don't be afraid to go, Can, could we do more? In a context of being positive and realistic. I think the danger we could face is that we get all too ideological and actually nothing gets done. But similarly, we don't want to get too comfy and not do enough. Be thoughtful about that balance and be incredibly determined in what you can do to help business be absolutely fantastic across all of the things we've been talking about today. Business in the community, Amanda, is asking businesses to be fairer, greener and together. But personally, if I could just ask you, what are you doing to make sure that the world is fairer, greener and that we're working together? Which is such a terrifying question, isn't it, really? Because it feels enormous. Um, but it but it does come back to little by little, every day, a little something. I mean, I hope that I'm in a position where, in terms, I can challenge the premise of fairness and always make sure that that's happening. Something that I certainly hope I will, because the job is never done, that I will hopefully carry on, is having championed race and how we approach that in business and the community. Um, because I think... It's the sort of thing that you can set a target, but you it unless you're really wholehearted, it is not going to happen. So are you being absolutely fair and equitable as you recruit? Are you making sure that your journey through an organisation is as fair and good as it can be? So I hope that wherever and whatever that I will continue to do that work because I'm, I'm proud of it. But I just it's just never mind me. It's just incredibly important and it's right. Uh, in terms of greener, I'm, I'm doing up a house and I'm desperate. And luckily, the foreman is building a passive house. So I'm stealing, as it were, not literally stealing, obviously, but I am taking all his knowledge such that although we're doing, we're renovating a house, that we can 
but really hope to make that greener. Um, and we've got ground source heat pumps and I want to add solar panels and, and I just really want to make it as literally net zero carbon neutral anyway as possible. And then in terms of together, it, it just comes back to that always encouraging people to collaborate with each other because we know, we just know better stuff will happen and we will achieve what we need to and we simply won't if we don't. A little bird has told me, even <laughs> though you absolutely love your job and you have the best job in the world, after six years at BITC, you're stepping down as CEO. Um, I've also heard, though, that no one ever really leaves BITC. So can you give us a little idea as to what's next and why are you leaving? Well, I'm, I'm leaving because I'm, I feel that it is the time is right for me. What was that amazing uh, tennis player? And she stood down aged like, 25 or 26 and actually had a lovely phrase which was something like I want to chase down other adventures and I thought that's it that's exactly it although I'm 30 years plus older than her um so I want to chase down other adventures and I want to make sure I have time enough to do them well I'd really like to think I can get a little bit more balance back into my life but I'm still very much going to be involved in the charitable sector and in my non-exec director work and I'm absolutely going to be pushing forward the responsible business agenda. I certainly don't feel I'll ever be leaving BITC. And what then finally would you like to say to the BITC team and your members? Thank you. We are, I don't, do you remember that amazing line from the BBC a few years ago, which was, you make it what it is. Mm. Um, there's no question, our members, absolutely, we are nothing without them. We're a mutual. We are a mutual of all our members. They make us up. Their collective strength is the impact we have against responsible business. So we, we are absolutely nothing without them. So huge thanks to them. All power to them for everything they're going to do. And likewise, to Team BITC, who do extraordinary things every day. They are remarkable. I've just come off a call with someone who said they'd had some diversity uh, advisory consultancy work from the team, and they just said it was quite simply brilliant. So for me, every time I hear that, and I know the passion and commitment that the team have, what an extraordinary organisation. So together, what an extraordinary collective well, Amanda McKenzie, it's been a joy uh, talking to you today. I know that everyone in, B in business in the community uh, wishes you all the very best. They're sad to see you go, but they know that more adventures and chemistry will be coming your way. You have been a lovely guest. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Lens, everyone, with me, Sarah Travers. And if your business would like support in tackling the cost of living, which we were talking about earlier, or you want to be inspired by what others are doing and discover how responsible business is good business, then Business in the Community is always open to new members. You can visit www.bitc.org.uk to avail of the Cost of Living Action Plan, a vast array of free resources, and of course, find out more about the advisory services on offer. Take care. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.